0: Coming out. If you were with us for hey, if you were with us at camp, so those those of you that are in seventh and eighth grade uh, and were with us at summer camp, it was really awesome to see the way that you guys really just embraced uh, this idea of following Jesus every day. And that's something that our church believes in: is we exist to be everyday followers of Jesus, not Wednesday and Sunday followers, not when it's convenient, but everyday followers of Jesus. And so we thought, you know, what what is it? What is a book, a passage, a, 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 a book from Scripture that we could go to that would help us with that everydayness of following Jesus? And First Thessalonians is written to a, an early church from the Apostle Paul, and he talks a lot about how can we follow Jesus consistently. Before we dive into that, I want you guys to, uh, to go back with me. Now, some of you, hopefully this is true for everyone in here. If it's not, I'm like not trying to embarrass anybody. Nobody raise their hand or anything. But think about a time when you, the time when you learn to ride a bike. I mean, without training wheels, okay? So like the first time the training wheels came off. Now, if you're anything like my kids. Like, so, you know, there's a lot of people who learn to ride. You'll see this picture up here. They learn to ride like this. Where there's somebody that's kind of helping them along with the riding of the bike. Dad holding on to that seat, and then he's eventually he's going to let go so that you can learn to ride on your own. My kids just watched all the neighborhood kids and were like, I don't want training wheels anymore because nobody else got them. And they just were like, take them off. I'm ready. And they just learned to do it on their own. But I want you to think about when you learn to ride a bike. And I want you to tell me just real quick, I'm not going to shout forever, just real quickly tell me when you learn to ride a bike, what inevitably is going to happen? You're going to fall. You are going to fall. It is going to happen. It is not a maybe. It's not a it's not an if. It is when. You are going to fall down. And when that happens, there's typically people in your family that are going to react in different ways. And if we look at this passage tonight, I want you to think about the ways that different people might react. Now, when you were little, okay? You, maybe you had another sibling or maybe there were other kids who were around who were also had e- learned to ride a bike recently or were hoping to learn to ride a bike. And they see you. And what do kids do? When my my daughter, when she's watching our son, Travis, and he's learning to ride a bike and he falls, like he's a tough kid. And he just gets like pretty much right back up unless his sister's there because she's running down the street going, she's freaked out. Like, I think like, oh This is a bummer. We've lost a child. Like one of them's dead, right? That's that's the reaction that I'm getting from her. She's running down the street screaming, Travis fell off his bike. I'm thinking, Travis, did Travis fall off his bike and get hit by a car? Because that's the reaction we're getting. Okay? And so, but also when we when we fall off our bike and there's there's other kids there, they run and they grab someone to help, but they also they feel for you because they've either been in your shoes or they're going to be in your shoes, right? They, they're not better than you. They've either just learned something ahead of you or they're about to learn something, but they're not better than you. Like how foolish would it be of us to walk around when we learned to ride a bike and be like, I'm better than that kid because I can ride a bike. That's a stupid thing to be proud of, right? So there's a humility there in that we're all in this together. We've kind of, we've learned some things or you learn something that someone else is going to learn. You know, there's, there's two types of parents. Now, in this passage we're going to look at tonight, Paul is going to describe two different types of parents, being a mom and a dad figure, a mother and father figure. Before we get too far into that, I just want to throw this out there to you guys. When we're talking about a mother and a father figure tonight, I know that there are some of you in this room right now who have some deep parental wounds. So when I talk about a mom or a dad, maybe it's not the greatest in your mind. Maybe you have some hurt there. And so when I'm talking about that, that tonight, what I want you to know is we're talking about a, a mother ideal and a father ideal. And these are these, these things that Paul is going to bring out. But moms, moms, when, the, when a kid falls off a bike, how does mom react? Mom, mom is Zen. Usually like, she's just like, she is the calm in the storm. Like she will run out. She picks that kid up. She dries the tears. She's wiping off the dirt. She is, she's listening to the fears about getting back on the bike, and she's really hearing you. And, and then she's, she's bandaging, kissing the boo-boos, right? Moms react with compassion, an overwhelming sense of love, care. We call that nurture, right? Dads. Now, dads get a bad rap when you fall off a bike, but I'm going to tell you what dads do, the typical dad, what the tickle does when you fall off a bike is so incredibly needed for your development. Because here's what dad does. Dad comes out, he might do the same thing, he's gonna dust you off, but dad's gonna give you a back talk. Dad's gonna tell you about what it means to learn from falling. And dad's gonna put you back on the bike and help you to learn. See, because dads are instructive in this way. Not that moms aren't, but we're we're gonna we're gonna look at what Paul is saying here. How he's going to draw these out. Hey, the dad is, is this instructive character, encouraging, wanting you to be better than what you currently are. He believes that you can learn to ride that bike, he believes in you. And as we try to make Jesus known every day as followers of Jesus, Paul is going to encourage us. Paul, the writer of 1 Thessalonians, is going to encourage us to take the postures of these three family members, children mothers, and fathers, all three of them, and that might seem a little weird, and the first time I remember like reading this passage again this last week and singing in a small group with some of our eighth grade girls, and I was like, this is weird, but let's just dive in. Before we go there, the, our big idea, what do we want us to walk away with tonight? Sharing the gospel, sharing the good news of what Jesus has done for us. We say it this way in, uh, in ASM middle school, That you have a God who loves you, likes you, and wants you. There was a God who loved you so much, he created you to be in relationship with him because of sin lives and in this world. That relationship is broken. But he loves you, likes the thought of you so much, wants you so badly, he sent his only son to die for you so you didn't have to pay the penalty for your sin. And all we have to do is turn to him. And we can have restored relationship. That's the gospel. Sharing that message, sharing the gospel is a part's message, talking about it, and being real. I'm going to talk a little bit about what that looks like tonight. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 through 12 says this. We are not. Now, who's we? We got to stop for a second. Who's we? Paul, Timothy, and Silas. These three men that did a whole bunch of work with this church in a place called Thessalonica. So we, Paul, Timothy, Silas, were not looking for brave people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ we could assert authority, instead we were like young children among you. There's one. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you, too. What are we supposed to be doing though? That happens here in verse eight. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. Bel- what? Believed in the message of Jesus. For you know that we've dealt with with each of you as a father with his own children. There's the third. What did the father do? Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives with God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Now, we got to unpack this. How can I live an authentic life? One that actually says what I say I actually believe. Because knowledge is knowing something to be true. Believing something to be true requires action. Right? I can say all day long, hey, guys, I believe gravity is absolutely true. But if I go up to the top of the building out here and jump off thinking I can fly, my actions do not prove that I believe it. Does it make the statement that gravity is a fact any less true just because I don't, be- I don't behave like I believe it? No. And I'm about to find out. Right? And that's something we need to understand. We are not fooling Jesus. We are not fooling God when we put the best of ourselves out there for the world to see. When we put up a fake mask, if you will, when we put out whatever we think people want to see, when we put up something that is inauthentic, not real, I want to tell you something. Jesus sees your spam account. (laughs) And here's the thing. If you're a youth leader, If your small group leader or me tries to follow your spam account, like, oh, maybe it shouldn't be there. Because we're called as followers of Jesus to live real life. To be real about what we say we believe. When we try to present a polished version of ourselves that doesn't reflect reality, there's a falsehood in us. And Paul's going to combat that with this passage. The real question actually needs to be how can I be real and also work at not being a hypocrite? Because just because we have the truth of Jesus doesn't mean that you can live however you wish. If we have a truth, if we speak the truth, but we don't live it, what are we called? Hypocrites. You guys like hypocrites? No, no. no. I know you don't because I know middle schoolers. You guys don't like hypocrites. You don't like fake. But if we have the truth and we live counter to that, does it mean that the truth is less true? No. It just means we're bad witness. And so we got to be careful. We need to think about how can I actually live this out? Because Paul says, we shared our lives with you. And there's three things that we see Paul doing and reflected in these three persons of a family that he kind of compares them to. First of all, he says that they're like children. So go to that passage here. He says, we're like children. We came to you like children. Instead, we were like young children among you. This represents this idea that we need to share the gospel with humility. Guys, I've come across so many people. Have you ever met somebody who, because they have a piece of knowledge, they think that they're better than you? Like kind of come to you prideful, like, well, oh, if you if you far as me. And I think sometimes, if we're honest, if you're in here and you're saying, like, I follow Jesus, sometimes we can come like that. We can come to people that way. And I would say this, we are all in need of something. We're all in need of Jesus. I heard, uh, and some of you guys will probably know exactly who this is, but I've heard it said before that just because you're the beggar with the bread doesn't mean that you're any better than any other beggar. We all have a need for something. We all have a need for a savior. And those of us that found him, we ought not to approach people pridefully. They had something that others needed, and they approached it humbly. How can we do that, though? How do we do that? See, I think it's this way. I think it's that we ask questions. We really get to know people and listen to what they think, what they believe. We get to know people. That's a humble posture before we begin spouting off everything we know, because that can make us sound like a know-it-all. Anybody like talking to those people? Talking to know it alls? No, me neither. Right? We need to be careful to avoid superior language or superior attitudes. Like, because we have Jesus, it somehow makes us better. Yeah. It does not make us better. It means that we have a truth that is desperately needed. And you guys, I remember how I was when I was uh, in high school, when I actually came to know Jesus as my Savior. I remember that there were people who maybe I didn't like them, or they weren't they weren't kind to me, and I thought, "Well, I'm not Jesus with you." See how that turns out for you? Can you guys? That's embarrassing. I should never have had that posture. No one is beneath you or unworthy of the message of Jesus. We need to approach this in a humble way, like a child. And then he goes on. He says. That he approached them like a mother. This passage. Thumbs up. There it is. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. How did they bring the message of Jesus to this church, to these people in a place called Thessalonica? They had compassion on everyone. Is how I would say it. They had compassion. They had something that was desperately needed. A nursing mother provides something that their child needs in order to survive but they have extreme compassion for their child. Do you know that studies have actually been done? Have you heard like those stories where mothers have this incredible feat of strength in order to save a child in danger? Yeah, that's a real thing. Like moms have like superpowers. It's crazy. When a child is in danger, it has been documented that there's something psychological and physiological that can happen to a mom where all of a sudden she has like superhuman strength and like lift cars off children. Like it's, it's nuts. And that comes from a deep and overwhelming sense of self-sacrificing love. As a nursing mother cares for her child, Paul says, we cared for you. What that means and the way that a mother is supposed to love, is they're supposed to love someone so much that they would be willing to give their own life for the preservation of that person. That's a Jesus kind of love. That's a self-sacrificing kind of love. And they carry something that 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 child needs. And we carry something that everyone needs. If you follow Jesus, you carry the gospel of Jesus, the message of Jesus, the message of life. And we need to show it in how we love. And others don't discriminate with their children. Like they don't they don't love the child because of what the child brings to the table. Do you know what a baby brings to the table? Nothing. We've had two in our house. They bring nothing to the table. Like they've been like my, we got a new dog and she's three months old. Like she can walk around. She can go to the bathroom outside. She can take care of some things like a baby's around. You've been here for three months. What can you do? Nothing, right? They don't bring anything to the table. And yet a mother's love is unconditional because it's a one way street on that one. That is where a mom is looking and saying, I will give everything for you, not because of what you bring, but because of who you are. You're mine. The next thing Paul drives out is this, this idea of like a father says this, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Now I started thinking about this and I started thinking, if you guys, how many of you guys have seen, and I'm sure it's everybody, just raise your hand, no hoot and hollering, just show me your hand, okay? See if we can do it. How many of you guys have seen the original, and by that I mean the actual good one, Lion King? Yeah, like everybody. If you haven't, spoilers ahead, okay? So, and now, I'm not talking about the new one where it's like, it's a live action, but it's also just completely animated. Yeah, all right. Mm-hmm. All right. So, talking about the cartoon version, the original Lion King. Something happens to the Lion King, Mufasa, in the beginning of the movie. Mufasa dies attempting to save his son, Simba. And Simba wears this guilt because of his father's death. And he runs off. And see, what can happen is we can actually move from feeling bad about something happening. Or feeling bad about something that we've done. And that's guilt. And guilt is okay. It's part of the human condition. Guilt can actually drive you to say, I did something bad and I'm not going to do that again. See, what a father does is he stops the shame story from to hold though, because the fathers, encouraging, comforting, and urging to lives worthy of God. They're calling you to something further. And when Mufasa appears in the clouds, to Simba, do you know what he says? Remember who you are. But more importantly, he says this: You are more. You are more. Than what you have become. You are more. Than what you have become. And we have this opportunity. As Christ followers. To call others to more than what they have become. That's the role that a father plays. Every person on this earth. Was created for relationship with God. Each person is more than what they've done. And I can't tell you how many people. Especially probably these people in Thessalonica probably told, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. God would never love me. You have no clue how many times I've heard that from students who will say, you don't know what I've done. And what that has become is it's gone from guilt over the sin and the things that have happened in our lives or the things that we've done and contributed. It moves from guilt and it moves to a story of shame that says, instead of I've done something bad, it moves from there to I've done some bad, therefore I am bad, and no one will love me. And the Father's role is to encourage and urge them to live lives that are for more than what they've become. It's to call out this idea that you were created for more. That there is a God who loves you, likes you, and wants you. And a loving Father instructs, and he calls out who you can be. This is another posture we can take as we're attempting to show people this love of Jesus, this living out of the gospel. They point out who we're created to be. And a good father will believe in you more than you believe in yourself. That's why a father comes out puts you back on the bike and believes that you can do it. You can get there. See, we're called, I think, by Paul. We're supposed to take his example of the way that he lived among the people of Thessalonica. It says he approached them like a child. He shared the gospel with them in humility, even though he was crazy smart. and He was an apostle or somebody who had seen the risen Jesus, had authority. He could have come at them with authority, but he didn't. He came at them with humility. We need to come like... A mother would come to a child with compassion on everyone. And at last, we come to them, we come to people that we're trying to show Jesus to, that we're trying to share the gospel with. We come like a father who calls them back to what they were created for, which is to be in relationship with their God. If we can even take one of those things, if you can take one of them, this one begin to apply it to a relationship with someone you know, sharing the gospel with them in humility, asking questions, seeing where they're there, or if you can have compassion on somebody that you would otherwise not have compassion on, simply because God loves them and that gives them value. Not because of what they can give you, but because they have value because of who they were created to be. If we can have compassion on someone. Or if we can begin to see someone who's stuck in a cycle of shame and they've allowed themselves to believe that they are something that they're not and begin to call out in them, you know what? There is a God who loves you like and wants you simply because he created you and you're more than what you've become. If we can take one of those things a week and begin to apply it in a relationship, I think ASM wins big for the kingdom of God. And I think God will be use this group, as we talked about last week, that the church in Thessalonica was known far and wide before we all even had a chance to talk about them because of their deep love for each other and their deep love for others and their commitment to Jesus. How awesome would it be if, like the church in Thessalonica, this group we call ASM was known for the way that it loved others? the way that it presented the gospel, the way that it loved Jesus. Tonight, as we close in our worship song, I want you guys to be considering this question. This is a question you're going to go to your small groups with. It'll be up on the screen. How can we, and maybe answer this question for yourself, how can I make Jesus known by living out real faith with those around me? How can I make Jesus known by living out real faith. With those around me. Not putting up what you want people to see. Not pretending to be something you're not. But really being transformed by Jesus. To be humble, compassionate and encouraging. As we share the gospel with others. Let's pray real quick. We'll have the band come back up. God thank you so much. For the way in which you love each of us. So so much. God, that you would love us so much. Your word says that you would send your only son to take place. And God, but you don't just love us. You, you like us. You like the thought of us so much that you caused us to be. And your word tells us that you want us. You've called us to be a part of your work. And as we talked about last week, God, you you actually you said that we're plan A for how you're going to reach the world with your love story. God, I pray that we would begin to take seriously how we could live real faith in front of everybody that we come into contact with, that as we attempt to make Jesus known, as we attempt to share the message of Jesus, that we would do so humbly and with compassion and encouraging others to follow you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.